everybody. Welcome to Two Northern Lasses podcast. Um, we are um, sat recording on Zoom. I think we've recorded now more episodes on Zoom than we've recorded in real life. Um, so that's the sign of the times. Um, it's July the 9th today. Um, I'm here with Michelle, obviously, our guest. Uh, how are you doing, Michelle? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, all good. What have you been up to? This since It's two weeks since I saw you. Yeah, because we've now moved back to fortnightly, haven't we, now that things are getting sort of, let's not say back to normal, but a little bit more back to normal work-wise. Yeah, um, yeah I've, um, I went to a pub last night. Did you? Um, you dirty cow. <laughs> I, I booked a two-hour slot and I went with um, my husband, Clive, and my friends, Jackie and Steve, and we went for just a couple of drinks. I actually drove, so... Which pub did you go to? Um, the Sovereign at Shepley. All right. Yeah, so uh, it was quite weird, actually. And I've got a question for you, which is sort of related. Um, can you guess what the best-selling products are for retailers during lockdown? Sort of clothing-ish related. Oh, um... I'm going to go either like jogging bottom type things or pyjamas. The answer is shorts, right? jumpsuits really? and handbags. Handbags? And why this is related to last night is because I actually used a handbag last night for the first time since lockdown. And I thought, gosh, this is a bit weird. I've got all these handbags. Which one shall I take? <laughs> so how do you know that information, though? Well, I don't think it's fake news, but I did actually read it in um, Mary Portas's newsletter. Oh. Yeah, so, so anyway... Said it, it must be true. Exactly. Um, true. For those listeners that don't know, me and Jane love Mary Portas. So, um, yeah, if Mary says it, it's right. Yeah. Um, anyway, what have you been up to? Um, well, I've had my hair done. That was like the most exciting thing to happen in three months. I spent it more time lovely. more time with my hairdresser on Sunday. I had, I had it done um, than I've spent with anybody. But I spend more time with my hairdresser than I spend with anybody normally anyway. So That's, that's not fun. unusual at all, is it? No, not at all. No. Um, and the other day... What day were on Thursday, Tuesday night, I did exercise. <laughs> I did well done, outdoor group training. There were five of us and plus the PT. Um, and it was awful. <laughs> awful as in really difficult. Awful, I, was, I don't want to do it again. I thought, awful. I, was gonna, I thought I was gonna puke at least three times. It took me about an hour and a half to stop having this tight feeling in my chest when I got home. <laughs> well, you know my and policy then, on that. Today no I'm pain, feeling... no gain. What? No pain, no gain. Oh, I'm definitely pain. I'm dreading tomorrow. It's going to be awful. <laughs> but it's getting steadily worse as the day goes on. But I'm going again next Tuesday. Good, good, great. Fabulous. Well, um, should we introduce our guest? Yes, definitely. You go ahead. Yeah, so our guest is Jonathan Edgeley. 
and Jonathan is a mental health and addiction specialist. He's a director at Sanctum Healthcare. He volunteers at Carmel Care Mental Health Charity and he hosts a podcast called Health, Wealth and Happiness. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Yes, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Good. Um, I just, um, we like to sort of say how we know our guests. We've only had a couple of stranger guests before, but normally one or both of us knows our guests and, okay. and I know you. Yes. And we've not spoke for years and years and years up until recently. But we met, I think, about 20 years ago. It was about that um, yeah. I was sort of working back in my career and it was when I was early in career at Cisco and, and I was a sales account manager and um, and your father owned a company called Lynx Technology and Lynx were one of my customers and you worked there and that's how I met you. That's right, that's were right. You, just jog my memory, were you in sales or marketing then? I was in sales but I always aspired to be in marketing. I thought it was a little bit more glamorous than sales but Definitely. Um, yeah. But you're dead right there. Yeah, you, you're clearly a marketeer. Yeah, and Michelle's a salesperson. <laughs> yeah, I have put in both camps, but I ended up in sales predominantly. And I did love it, and I still do, yes. Yeah, I think there's a salesperson in everybody, but um, that's a, another conversation. Um, so I have caught up with you recently, so I know a little bit about what's sort of happened since, since we met 20 years ago. But do you want to just sort of talk us through how you get from being in sales in a corporate environment to being a mental health and addiction specialist? Yes, of course. It's not a usual transition, I, I wouldn't say. But um, nonetheless, it's one that I've done and I've, I've done with a full heart. And um, I, I got into sales when I was 18. So I left school before doing A-levels and my father working in IT and tech um, very kindly got me a job because I'm not quite sure what I would have done or where I would have been if I hadn't gone down the route of sales. But, um, and that was selling uh, di digital Dorio deck terminals, green screen terminals back in the day. So quite some time ago, but I, I spent, um, over 13 years working in, in IT in various different guises from selling hardware to selling software, IP telephony solutions, um, Cisco, and um, all the way through to more sort of cloud-based services and data storage and all that kind of thing. So I enjoyed selling. I wasn't particularly enamored with the technology or, or uh, you know, some of, some of the brands, but I liked... The glamorous side to sales, may I say, particularly when working with vendors where you would go on these wonderful away days. I remember going with um, with AST. We, we, got a, we, we, we got a trip out to Lapland as part of my sales incentive. And it, it was phenomenal. I had a really great time. Ate reindeer, you know, things like that. Probably things you shouldn't do nowadays, but I did. And uh, it was fabulous. Really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but, but, but for me, um, I, I was always challenged with what I now know to be, um, 
I suppose poor mental health in, in suffered terribly with anxiety and I, I suffered also with um, dependency to alcohol and I, I drank excessively. I mean, in the beginning, in, working in a sales environment, it, it, was, it was geared up around alcohol and nights out and all of that kind of thing. My problem was um, I didn't have an off switch. So where people would go and have a few beers and, you know, retire after a couple of a couple of bottles of beer and a bottle of wine for example on a night out i'd still be there at three four five o'clock in the morning you know wanting to carry on partying and um you know in in my in my early 20s you know i was very capable of that and able to do it without much repercussion or um or consequence however as i as i started to get older things things started to change and, and, and my my physical health my mental health started to deteriorate and um I, you know, cutting a, a fairly long story, relatively short, but I, I exited from my father's company after taking a post down in London and um, m- moving back up north. And, 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 you know, one of the consequences of my drinking meant that I lost my driving license, um, which stunted my career massively, just nosedive off a cliff. And um, I, I moved from a very well-paid job into um, a local company in Sheffield where I was, I was paid a, a, a minimal amount of money. So my lifestyle changed enormously. And, um, you know, during this time, my relationships had changed dramatically with, 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 with people uh, and family and friends um, to the point where in 2006, New Year's Eve 2006, after my father intervened because he was so worried about me, I, I ended up in South Africa in, in a rehab um, where I stayed for four months. So, yeah, that's sort of a, a, a bit of history. I, I, I then came back to the UK and um, got back into my stride, although a very different life because I was abstinent. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't taking any sort of mind or mood altering substances or anything like that at this time now. So, my, my, my life was on a very different trajectory. I was on a, I was on a spiritual path, let's say that, yeah, um, which was pretty cool. And I was doing lots of wonderful things with some great people, but I, I wasn't earning much money. And just before we came on air, we talked about obsession and compulsion and this, this ability and this incessant drive within me to, to, to do other things. So I thought, you know, I'll set up a nice little chauffeuring business. I'd watch the transporter and I thought, you know, fancy a bit of that Jason Statham thing. And, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll drive a few execs around, take it nice and steady. But, but by my very nature, I found myself winning a contract with HSBC, got all their exec work and I got 40 drivers at one point, which became really difficult to, to manage. So number of other things I can share with you. But, but ultimately, I then moved in and started my own business, started a call center working in sales, again, IT and tech space, providing uh, appointments for tech companies, distributors. And, and that went really well for a period of time. I did that for just over five and a half years. Um, but sadly, during that time, I, um, I relapsed. I picked up a, a drink and, you know, that became again the most important thing in my life was the alcohol you know the business wasn't particularly 
of interest to me, although it was my paymaster. You know, very sadly, my relationship with, with, with my wife and my children became secondary because when you've got, when you're an alcoholic and alcohol's in your life, nothing else matters mm. when you're drinking. All bets are off, okay? The most important person in the room is me, um, which is very sad because it, 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 it's, a, it's a very um, powerful illness that doesn't take any prisoners. Um, in, in, and, and sadly, you know, disrupts families beyond comprehension. Um, but I managed to find myself in a position where through the guidance of my wife and her, you know, determination and support to get me back where I needed to be, um, I've, I've got myself back into uh, a, a program of abstinence and recovery. And at that point, where I decided to change my career path and get into mental health. An addiction and what help people essentially probably a long-winded response there michelle but yeah <laughs> no no it's 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 really interesting um the second time when you when you relapsed how long did it take for you to get back three and a half years three and a half years i was back out there doing my thing convincing everybody that i didn't have a problem and you know, other people had the issue. It wasn't me. I was fine. I was okay. I got my shit together and I, I knew what I was doing and I could handle it and um, clearly couldn't. But I was, I remember at the time towards the end of that drinking period is I, I was so scared. I was so scared of not being able to stop when my biggest fear was not being able to stop and that's the power of this illness, you know, an illness that's recognized as a disease by the World Health Organization. This is not some moral deficiency or, or, or some, some, some made up illness. It's, uh, it's a real deal. And, um, you know, sadly, it tells me every day that I haven't got it, <laughs> you know. Um, so it, it was at that point that I, um, I, I, I got back in into recovery. But my wife played such a major part in that process. Um, although ultimately I had to come to the decision myself. I think if it wasn't for her guidance, who knows? When you say about um, the fear of not being able to stop, do you mean that you kind of got in your head that you're not going to be able to, so you're not going to try because you don't want to fail at it? Um, well, I just didn't think, I, I just could not understand how I would live without a drink. I didn't know how I would function or cope or communicate or, you know, submerse these feelings I had that were so powerful and consuming of inadequacy, of uh, inability, of um, unsurety, all of these things, you know, it's a, it's a very self-centered illness and all about you know it's all about me but that that's how I felt um and being the CEO of a 100 seat telemarketing agency you know I I had to command a certain level so I thought I had to command a certain level of um um of authority and stability and robustness which w was um delusion sadly yeah and did you did you do another stint in rehab 
after that three and a half years or did you no i didn't actually no i was uh, i'd i'd i'm breaking too much around anonymity but i'd got into some sort of community-based help groups um <clears throat> i have the number 12 in them and i i'd i'd got really well in there and created a you know a good life for myself with some phenomenal people um and you know that that's what i i got back into really which is the lifeblood of my recovery and is that something that continues now absolutely yeah maintenance they say stopping's easy it's the staying stop that's difficult so you know it's a 24-hour reprieve from from the illness really and uh, you know some days i have to work really hard at maintaining it you know so we talk about people you might go and lose a bit of weight and then we've got to maintain the weight keep the weight off and we have blips where we where we you know there's some fluctuation but generally it goes up again and then we have to bring it back down so you know it's it's a uh, i remember somebody once telling me the only thing you've got to change in recovery is one thing and i'm like fabulous that's great what is it and he said everything you know <laughs> so at, at that you know and i'm like whoa but how true how true it is and um but, but but i have a life beyond my wildest dreams today i mean it's just phenomenal i can sit here and have this conversation to you although feeling a little nervous beforehand i can sit here and have this conversation with you and feel all right feel at ease feel at peace and comfortable in my own skin and that's just like phenomenal and you've got four kids as well, haven't you? I have, yeah. 18 all the way through to four. <laughs> yeah. Not with that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's all good fun. All good fun. Keeps me on my toes. My wife more so, I must say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk to us a bit about Sanctum. Yeah. And the work that you do there and what what drove you to, to set that up? And uh, clearly your background's got a major plays a major role in why you're doing what you're doing today but yeah talk to us a bit about that well yeah you're right it has i mean you know i i i, I truly believe i was i was put on this planet to help people and that and that that's what i intend to do whether that be paid work or that be pro bono you know with some of the other work that i do in the community which which i love and i, I don't really talk about because it, i don't need to do you know what i mean it, it's just something that we do and giving back is is, is all part of it and that sort of philanthropic way of being able to help others as people help me yeah you know, so giving back where i can but what i had recognized after working in the industry uh, in the uh, rehab well-being space is that rehabs although doing a phenomenal job in the main um <clears throat> had become quite a static market there wasn't much innovation there wasn't much change it was pretty pretty standard 28 days treatment inpatient care 28 days was a model that had come over from america because that's what the american insurance companies would pay for 28 days of treatment so we just inherited that as we seem to do a lot here in the uk from the states and <clears throat> over the last 15 years rehabs haven't really uh, developed much and i'd had my eye on this and i'd started to look at how we could create something that was much more person-centered. So rehabs really are multi-occupancy clinics. They're residentials with 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people. Same program, same food, same, same frequency and range of treatment. And <clears throat> looking at the um, 
the diversity in mental health and when you get addiction together co-occurring you know it can be the perfect storm and rehabs either deal with addiction or rehabs deal with mental health they don't work together so we we've created now so i've met with a psychiatrist called dr raffi and we've created sanctum to provide a, a very individualized very bespoke we work generally with sort of medium to ultra high net worth clients to provide um, a single treatment episode and experience so we're based over in cheshire and um, <clears throat> essentially a, a, a client would come into our private apartment they would have their own living nurse they would own their own living recovery manager um we we will provide psychiatry psychology personal training we will provide yoga mindfulness coaching um we will provide personal training as i said and and, and just a number of other things that are very so it's a very holistic 360 degree approach to treating the person because <clears throat> sadly my experience tells me that people relapse you know, people relapse with mental health and with addictions. And we wanted to create something that, that would reduce the chance of relapse. So we elongated our treatment program. So we worked with a client for up to 12 months, you know, step it down over time to a quite a light touch program. But it is the most inclusive and exclusive program in, in the UK. So we do DNA and genetic testing we do heart rate variability. So we work with elite sports people. We, we, we've taken technology from that world as well. And we've, we've created a very dynamic and agile program that we're super proud of. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And do you do all nutrition and stuff like that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So nutrition <clears throat> is a big part of this. And, you know, we are what we eat. And the relationship that the gut has with the brain it's, it's classed as the second brain the gut so what we will do is the deep dive into the gut biome we will do functional bioregulatory medicine to understand sort of the uh, different levels um, of physiology and and uh, immunity within the body within the gut and look at the biome and we will create very bespoke programs to support people so rather than just being a purely um medicated route of recovery we will look at how we can utilize different you know foods for example to aid sleep and reduce depression or anxiety and we will be able to benchmark that over a longer period of time as we're working with the client so being able to work in a in sort of a multidisciplinary approach so psychiatrist working with a nutritionist and a functional medicine doctor working with a medical gp and a personal trainer working with a mindset resilience coach you know, so <clears throat> looking at it like that, rather than sadly people just going and getting one or two elements of that and missing so much out, really, of the complete solution. It, it sounds fascinating. So I'm thinking with my sales head on, how do you go and get new clients? Because the nature of your work is ultra confidential and you're dealing with those high net worth individuals and sports people. Yeah. How, how do people find out about you? Or is it word of mouth? Or? It is word of mouth. So we have a website, but the website you can't get into unless you know how to get into it. So we've got a secret button on the website. So it's, it's super discreet and off grid. So we work with 
people in the entertainment industry or, you know, high net worth families or CEOs or people who don't wish to uh, go into a traditional hospital and fiercely protect their reputation uh, and anonymity. Um, so how do we get these clients? So we work very closely with, <clears throat> excuse me, family officers. Um, we work with private client advisors, private client lawyers. We work with private psychiatrists. We work with some football clubs directly, for example. We are the go-to really for elite rehab, for want of a better term. How did you get your first client? So uh, that's a very good question. So our first client came through a family trust lawyer, I know. And he was a trustee of, sat on the board of trustees for, for this gentleman. And we got the phone call. So I'd met him a couple of years ago because I'd been out talking and building up my, I suppose, my client base and referral base over the years and just explain what we did. And it was a um, high profile individual that couldn't necessarily or didn't wish to, but didn't even think they got a problem first and foremost. <laughs> so there was a bit of work for us to do beforehand because people, not everybody comes into us, you know, skipping along the drive, high-fiving everybody on the way, yippee-doo, let's get well um some people although we wouldn't do this per se come being dragged and kicked and screaming you know really don't want to come in um so we have to go through a process of what we call intervention just to help them understand what it is that we're doing and how we would lovingly compassionately navigate them through to a place where they accept the help 90 percent of the time Not so how that. long was it between you having this idea of this holistic um, therapy and the idea of set up Sanctum to actually going, yeah, we, we've done it. How long did that take? So we started in September last year. All right. Very, so, very new. Not even in our first year. Um, we'd originally thought about setting up a, a, a different type of multi-occupancy residential setting which you know we didn't feel was going to work for us or it'd be an appropriate um, way of doing it so we uh, we then went down the route of bespoke one-to-one -one. so but we we don't we work with one client at a time so what we don't have is lots of clients and lots of people in at any one time Mm -hmm. You know, one client will come into our apartment and, and you know, we wrap around that one person and we, 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 we give them our all. Um, so I'm curious. Um, obviously, people are coming in, kicking and screaming. That's the metaphorical kicking and screaming. Yes, of course. Um, can they leave when they want to or is, it, is the intervention, you sign up, you're in, you're not getting out? Well, we no, they can leave when they want. Um, they can come and go as they wish. I mean, we, we don't advise it, but, you know, we can't hold anybody against their will. Um, but we've not had anybody leave um, because of how we do it. I mean, people, people have a preconceived idea as to how things are going to be. When they come in and they understand 
what we actually do and how we are uh, delivering services, they want to stay. <laughs> yeah. So, what, um, what, what's your feeling about the rise in um, addiction and mental health problems through the pandemic? So sadly, there is a rise. We've, we've, June was our busiest month by far. And there has been a huge fallout mm. since COVID. So, you know, one of our, our my first podcast was around pre-contemplation of, of divorce during COVID. Um, and it, it was very apt because, you know, you look at the Google statistics, I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but the amount of people that have Googled how to divorce my husband or how to divorce my wife had, had, had almost tripled uh, during that period of time. So we've, we've seen a huge fallout from people who are living together, who, who've said, I didn't realize how much my wife drank, for example, um, or I didn't realize how much my husband drank or spending so much time with them. I've realized that there is something going on that is quite disturbing or I'm worried about. You know, and it, it just puts it's put people under the microscope. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So I also know that you do public speaking. So is that public speaking about your personal story or yeah, what do you talk about? Can be, can be. I mean I, I've I've done a few things, so I've I've not done a huge amount of it. I used to be petrified of speaking. I had a really bad experience once many years ago. I went on a sales training course and um, can I tell you the story? No, but I'm just laughing because we've all been there, haven't we? Well, it, well, it was awful. It was awful. I, I, we went away to this place. It was a sort of a three-day gig and I, I just didn't particularly engage myself well in it. And then we had to write a presentation on a topic of our choosing and, and, I, and I decided to, which we were meant to be preparing, by the way, throughout the three days. And I decided to, to write mine about Bob Marley. And, um, I, and I did it the night before the presentation at three o'clock in the morning after a few sherbets. And it, it didn't go down particularly well the next day. Um, I was full of anxiety. It was being videoed. It was horrendous. And I got lots of feedback and stick. And um, from that day on, I vowed I would never, ever, ever do a public talk again. What changed? <laughs> well, I, I, I found recovery for a start. I, do, do you know, like when I talked about that insecurity and that inadequacy and that fear, of, um, that fear of ridicule, it was such a big thing. I was so scared of being ridiculed and people laughing at me, you know, to the point where I'd, I'd go so far the other way with it to make people laugh, to keep them at arm's length, because I was so fearful of, of, of being exposed. You know, and today that's quite a big thing for me to be able to say, and I say it with relative ease, but I would never have gone anywhere near that because I didn't know about it then. But, you know, today when I'm going out, I share my experience, strength and hope. Really, for me, I do a lot of, do a bit in corporate. So I'll go and talk to corporates about my journey uh, and, and I'll talk a little bit about mental health, but more, more about addiction in, in corporate workplace um, and, and how to help people rather than, spot it you know how to help people I, i'm about action i'm about action 
there's a lot of people talking some great stuff out there, but not doing a great deal. Mm. Um, and, and for me, it's about action. We can help people get out of very, very difficult, destructive situations. Um, if we've been given the right level of education and we've got people like myself who are identifying themselves and, and are saying, you know, from a stigma perspective, I've got, there's no stigma around it for me. There's no, I'm not talking about this. I, I want to share because I want to help people. Mm. You know, some people don't want to, um, don't want to be around me anymore because they don't like the fact that I'm in recovery. But, but for me, it's, it's a gift. And if mm. I can go and help a fellow man or woman to access this life versus a life of dereliction and drama and upset, I would all day. Yeah, I love that. Um, you touched there on um, addiction in corporate. I might be making a massive leap here, but is that um, associated with stress? Um, I think if you, th th there is certainly stress involved, but if you look at the type of people that are in well within departments within corporate structures sales for example <laughs> we can be quite high octane high achievers we're driven it's about the money you know it's about the fun it's about the you know the competition all of that so what i found in that environment it just kept me moving kept me moving kept me moving kept me moving and and that was a great thing for me because i didn't want to stop for fear of being caught up so in those environments Yes, I think it does have probably a relatively high percentage of people that may be troubled with behavioural addictions, whether that be sex addiction, whether that be gambling, whether that be drugs or alcohol or, or whatever it might be. Food, shopping, exercise, you know, some of these things that go miss, go missing because they're deemed as good things to do. Just because I go to the gym six times a week, it's a good thing. See, Jane. Yeah. See, I'm all right on that score, aren't I? Yeah, you, me and you are cool, Jane. We're good. <laughs> um, your house, Michelle. What's your excuse? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I've really got no no stress in my life right now, have I? It's, everything's pretty cool for me right now. But I, I totally relate to that um, that sales environment, and you know. We were in sales in, in the 90s and the early turn of the millennium. And we had a lot of fun, but there was a lot of corporate entertainment. Yeah. But actually, up until, you know, the financial crisis, a lot of money was spent on going out, entertaining clients on a big, big scale. You sure? Um, and then the financial crisis happened and... And things slowed down because there wasn't the budget to do that. And and it felt a little bit vulgar to be spending that kind of money. Um, so, yeah, I mean, gosh, I've been on some amazing trips like you have. It's, mm, mm. But it's extravagant. Yes, massively extravagant. And, you know, we just, it, it, it's, you know, people in sales who've been in sales for two, three, four, five years will just never have experienced that and well unlikely ever experience it. You know, things were very, very different then. But um, 
yeah, I mean, my, my, one of the things I'd love to do is to, you know, have the opportunity to go in and talk to some of these IT and tech companies again and, 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 and just talk about, you know, well-being um, and, you know, we can wrap it as that, but, you know, talk about addiction and, and addiction, not just being heroin addiction, for example, mm-hmm. which everybody, or, or alcoholism, which people seem to think is somebody on a park bench, homeless, drinking whiskey out, or white line insider, which is just so far from the truth. I mean, this, this, this illness, you know, has no boundaries. It, it, it you know, doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Um, in fact, the wealthier um, clients that I have, it's more difficult sometimes to land them because the wealth protects them and precludes them. They feel to societal issues and, um, and, and, and things like addiction. Mm. Mm. Well, that's been really interesting. And we're now at the point in our podcast that we play the game, which you said before that you were anxious about, and now I feel really bad for putting you on the spot. It's fine. I think it's fine, is it? Okay. So <laughs> just being polite. No, it's not, but go on. <laughs> right, I'm gonna shuffle the cards, so just tell me when to stop. Get it over with. Stop. <laughs> okay. Well, this is a bit deep. What books have you read that have had a big influence on you? Uh, Famous Five, Edie Blyton. I've actually read that, but I can't remember it. No, I can't. I mean, to be honest with you, if I'm honest with you, I I, I really struggle to read books. I don't really read books. I've got seven books at the side of my bed. I've started every one of them and finished none. Right. What kind of books have you got stacked up then? Well, you want to read. Well, they are. The thing is, I'm completely consumed in a world of mental health and addiction. Every single book is is to do with mental health or addiction. Or there is one that is um, is around sort of life coaching um, from a from a from a guy in London who I met who was just phenomenal. So, and it, that's even got fewer pages and big words, you know, big letters, but still not got through it. It might be that audio books are the way forward, but. Um... Anyway, <laughs> yeah. we'll go on to the next one. Okay, stop. Okay. If you could pack your own lunch every day, what would you pack? Cheese sandwich. Pickle? Cheese salad, salad cream, onions, no cucumber, sliced egg. Ooh. There you go. With ready salt crisps. White bread or brown? White, are they? Are the, are the crisps on the sandwich? No. I would only have ever have crisps on the sandwich if it was pots of meat with tomato ketchup. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm with you. I like a tomato ketchup and crisp sandwich. Oh, yeah. Or salad cream and crisp sandwich. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's oh, all right. Marmite, that's Marmite, Marmite and crisps is good. Would you, have, far now, Jane. <laughs> would you have crisps and butter sandwich? Hundred percent. Yeah. As long as it was butter. Yeah, yeah. I um was at my sister in law's at the weekend and she made a peanut butter and jam sandwich. Not getting it. No. No, I don't get that. That's an American thing, isn't it? Yeah, and she said I said, Oh, I don't know if you need that. She said, try it. I said, No, I'm not going down that rat hole. As soon as I start with that, <laughs> I'll be on it. 
cheese and jam is nice. Cheese and chutney, maybe. Cheese and jam on toast is actually very nice. Not trying that either. No, no. I'm not with you <laughs> right, at all. Last, last question. Stop. Oh, last one. What has made you laugh today? This podcast. <laughs> Yeah, this podcast, I've, my business can be quite serious some days and it's been one of those days so far. So I, I feel a bit lighter, actually, which is great. So I, I thank you very much. Well, yeah. it's interesting you say that because Jane and I were recording every two weeks um, before lockdown. And then when it got to lockdown, we were trying to work out a way to do it. And then we thought, oh, we'll do it every week. And it actually definitely gave us a lift, didn't it? Yeah, and it gave us a bit of a focus as well, didn't it, when we didn't really have out else to do? Yeah, and just moan about the situation. Having a laugh and yeah, having a nice time for an hour. Yeah, it's good to laugh. It really is. It's a it's a freeing it's a free ingredient to happiness, isn't it? Laughter. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Well, listen, um, <laughs> we do this thing where if anybody wants to get in contact with you how do they get in contact with you? So you mentioned the website, so people can obviously find you on that. I know that you're on LinkedIn because we're connected on LinkedIn. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, That's no problem. Or if you want to call me. Okay. Retro. We do push, we put show notes in the, um, in the, in the podcast um, when we launch it. Yeah. So if you're happy, we can put your phone number in there. Of course, yeah, absolutely. And uh, if anybody wants to call, it's a very discreet, confidential conversation. Um, if that's what they want to talk about, by the way, you can talk about anything, but uh, always here to help. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. It's been really good to meet you. Thank you.